we continue worshiping the Lord now as we come to Him in His Word in the Gospel reading appointed for tonight. Of course, it's Luke chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. And as you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cunius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room, no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's, let's begin talking about tonight's uh, reading and the gospel text that we have just encountered by talking a little bit about some of our favorite Christmas traditions. You know what I'm talking about, you know, when it becomes that time of year when you finally get to blast the music as loud as you want, right? Maybe that's your favorite. Or maybe it's when you go through the drive-thru and you can finally order that peppermint mocha, right? Or maybe it is one of my favorites, the magical movie moments, right? Uh, I know at our house we start playing Christmas music, uh, movies around uh, Thanksgiving and we keep playing them until it gets awkward at the end of January, right? <laughs> it's outside the ordinary, these traditions. We get a break, oftentimes. This time outside the ordinary is part of what we love about Christmas. It's also one of the challenging parts, too, because we get the idea that this time is special, so we try to make this season extra special. And it becomes a weight on our shoulders, especially oftentimes moms. I've got to make this right for everyone but this gift of Christmas something beautiful that comes that leads us tonight to give the glory to God on the highest is not meant to be a weight on our shoulders 
For when we start to think about it, what, what happens after Christmas? You know, when the batteries wear out on the new toys, when the new tie is stained, when uh, we go back to our regular, ordinary schedule, when the break is over, and when, God forbid, the peppermint is gone when you go through the drive-thru, right? But what happens at Christmas, and it, it just leapt out at me as I encountered the text this year, is something maybe, maybe just as extraordinary. That God's amazing, marvelous work, and make no mistake that this is a time of miraculous work of God. That His Word would conceive the promise in Mary, Christ the Lord. But what does He do? He does the extraordinary and He brings it to the ordinary. He brings it to the ordinary days. I mean, just look at the trajectory in our reading tonight. We go from Caesar Augustus to shepherds who smell, right? God is doing something new. And He's taking the extraordinary, His marvelous promise proclaimed to us by the angels and bringing it to us in the ordinary parts of our life and world. And in that ordinary, He is doing and continues to do the extraordinary. He's making the old new. When I was a child, I really wanted a new bike. I had, uh, in the days of lore, it's true, I had a banana seat bike. You know what I'm talking about with the wide handlebars. But what was getting popular uh, when I was uh, a young boy was, before mountain bikes were talked about, dirt bikes, right? I really wanted a dirt bike. Even though I lived in an apartment surrounded by concrete, I wanted a dirt bike, right? And got up that Christmas morning, and I went out and saw, oh, it was glorious, right by the tree, a dirt bike. I got there, though, and as I got closer, it looked strangely familiar. I noticed the frame of that bike was identical to the bike that I had just a few days before. Now, the color had changed. The wheels had gone from street wheels to knobby dirt bike wheels and a BMX handle, and even the banana seat had been replaced. And at first, I confess to you, I was a little disappointed. I realized what was going on. Right? My dad had converted what had been old to something new. I was disappointed, that is, until I got it out on the road and in the, on the trail. And I realized it was something brand new. It was a gift. God is doing that tonight. He is taking the old. He's coming to the ordinary. And He's doing something new. And he announces it in these ordinary ways in our text tonight. Let's just look at three of them. The first is that this great news announced by the angels is announced in the midst of universal history. The evangelist Luke has no problem 
after having well-researched this testimony, to place it at the time that Caesar Augustus was in power. And Quirinius was governor of Syria. He had no problem saying at this moment in history, this took place. It's in the midst of our real history, your history, my history. Now, this point is interesting because for several decades at least, there have been scholars who have argued, did Luke get the date right? Well, we know that there was a census in 6 AD, but Quirinius wasn't a governor when Jesus uh, was born something, but... uh, and the debate continues. And, well, there was another guy by the same name uh, uh, in ruling 12B. I mean, the debate goes on. But here's the point, And I can give you all of the great new archaeological evidence that actually confirms uh, Luke's dating. But here's the real point. It's a real moment in history. And like any real moment in history that's reported, historians will debate over, it. did we get that right? Did we get that precise? It gives you a clue that this testimony really happened, even through the debate. And so, in the reality of the world that we actually live in, God comes to us on a particular day. And then, He comes to a family. He comes by His Word to Mary. He works through if you can believe it, taxes, right? He works by uh, a registration for taxes and he sends Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. And I kind of like how Wally tells the story. Some of you have heard me tell you about Wally. A a preacher told the story about Wally some years ago. Wally was uh, playing a part in the nativity story. He had one line, and he practiced it over and over again for weeks, and with his parents at home, and he had it down. And his line was, when Mary and Joseph arrived on the scene, he was to say, there's no room in the inn, right? Except, when the big moment came, and Mary and Joseph came right there before him, he just couldn't say no to them. And so he said, in the midst of the play, sure, there's room at my house. Come on over with me. (laughs) Turns out, historically speaking and biblically speaking, that he wasn't that far from the truth. You see, David went to his house of lineage in Bethlehem, where very likely... Some of his family lived. And so he went to stay. The word for in in Greek is uh, often translated as guest room. And so there was no room for him probably in and Mary in the family household guest room. Others had already filled it. And so they had to go to the humble abode, which usually in the first century meant the stable, which was actually part of the house, usually the first floor underneath the house so that the heat of the animals would would rise up and provide extra heat for those living in their home. 
And so they had to go down and stay in the stable. There they stayed. Christ our Lord would be put in a food trough, the manger. Now some have argued that maybe one of the reasons there was no room in the guest room for them was because of Mary's condition. She was, after all, uh, betrothed to Joseph, but they hadn't yet completed the uh, full rite of marriage. And so maybe uh, other family members got the more preferred room because of her condition. We don't know for sure, but it does make us wonder if after all these years, uh, awkward family moments at Christmas have been going on for 2,000 years, right? And so there they are in this humble, humble means. Christ would be placed in a trough, a manger. And then that leads us to what happens next, which is even, uh, maybe in some ways, even more extraordinary. Because who are the first after the angels to be evangelists, to proclaim the good news that the Christ has come? Shepherds, the lowest of society. They would be the first to proclaim. I mean, if you were making something up, by the way, you wouldn't choose the lowest of society to be your witnesses. But if you fast forward and spoiler alert, when Jesus will rise again, the first to proclaim the resurrection were also unregarded by the society at the time as women were the first evangelists to the gospel, the proclamation of the resurrection. And so here, the folks that no one wants to be around because they're religiously unclean, they're, they're constantly stinking and sleeping with the animals out in the fields. They're the first to proclaim the good news that God is with us, that Christ has come. That, friends, is exactly God's plan. I mean, we don't think of the shepherds in Christmas best, but the extraordinary comes to the ordinary. To a family dealing with Mary's miraculous birth, to a real moment in history, to do what? To bring salvation to His people, to us. That led the shepherds to go running. And how does he do that? How does he bring the extraordinary to the ordinary? Through a little boy in a feeding trough. Using things like taxes and census. And the pains of childbirth. And lowly shepherds. And this little boy would... Proclaim peace. That's the job of Caesar, not some little boy. Turns out, this name for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, isn't a thing. It's a person. And this Christmas season isn't just 12 days, it's a new beginning. You know, sometimes even the magical movies that want to take us into far-off lands get it right. One of my favorite, some of you have heard, is Arthur Christmas, where one of the 
elves takes his scanning device to see if the young child is naughty or nice, when he discovers that the child is naughty, instead scans himself and gives the gift based on the merit of that elf. But you know what? We don't need magical elves. We've got God who has come to be with us in the very real world that we live in. The name Jesus, which means He's come to save us. He saves. We get His merit. He looks upon Himself and gives us the very gift of life. Not what we deserve, but what He deserves. He gives it by grace on His account. And so when the God of the universe shows up in this tiny, tiny town of Bethlehem when it's crowded and bustling. This town, which literally means the house of bread, he does the ordinary with the elements of bread and wine or juice. And he lets us know that he is the bread of life. He is the gift. Remember It comes not just when those mochas are available or when we have time off. He comes to us in our ordinary, everyday part of life, in our real world, your real world, my real world, where family gatherings can be awkward and not in some theoretical idea, but at a real date and moment in history. And from majestic... Uh, messengers like angels to the lowly shepherds to all of us here. He brings the miraculous to the ordinary. And that room, in the end, He wants us now to come and stay in is the room in your heart. And to quote that theologian Chad Bird again, if you've ever wondered how far the Lord would go to Make you sure you were His own. Peer down into the manger and look up at the cross and you'll have your answer. For the glory of the Lord shines in the darkness. He turns the old to new. He's the King. The same word that said, let there be light brought life into Mary and life to us. He wants to make a home in your heart. A month from now, when this season has changed, He still wants to do the extraordinary. So unwrap this gift, whether you're unwrapping it for the first time or the 500th time. Receive Him in the room of your heart tonight. Accept this gift from Jesus. And live in these ordinary days with God's everyday extraordinary gift. Amen. Merry Christmas.